0: Geek Top 5 Season 5.
1: I'm so happy you're here. I'm happy to be here. (laughs) This is so exciting.
0: Geek Top 5. I'm Jesse. I'm Graham. And we are back with another round of dueling lists, and this time with some super special experts. Yes, it's not always just Graham and I, although we're sort of moderate level experts, right? Well, sure. In any (laughs) case, you've seen the title. Uh, This is the kind of thing that it it turns out you you might need an entire team to do. So we brought in the, the wisest and most knowledgeable people we could. And both of these guys, the bona fides, just... Just go on and on. Graham, could you please roll out the red carpet for our guests here today?
2: Yes. For episode number 141 of our show, we've gone to the days of future past of our podcast. (laughs) Bring back some classic guests. We have Andrew DeMann, the co-host of the Oh Gosh, Oh Golly, Oh Wow podcast, lecturer at St. Jerome's University, and the project lead for the Claremont Run. Welcome back to the show, Andrew.
3: Thank you for having me again.
2: Uh, how's it going? How, tell, us, tell us a bit more about the Claremont run.
3: Uh, it's all-consuming. I write a thread about Claremont's <laughs> X-Men run every day, um, and we have a, a manuscript contracted at University of Texas Press, which includes the longest academic paper ever written on Wolverine, so this should be fun. Oh my god.
2: I I gotta tell you, my favorite Twitter thing every day is what, reading that uh, thread that you put up. They're
3: amazing. Thank you.
2: We also have with us Jim Zub, Seneca animation professor, writer of a bunch of Dungeons and Dragons comics and young adventurer guides, Conan, Avengers Tekon, Stone Star, and a current Marvel Unlimited exclusive series called The Life of Wolverine that ties into the X-Lives, X-Deaths of Wolverine series. Welcome back to the show, Jim.
1: Thanks. Thanks for having me. It is uh it is a bevy of of weird credits, all kinds of different genres <laughs> and stuff. Uh and and yeah, currently as you said, I have bonded adamantium to my bones and figured out how all this <laughs> stuff fits together or at least the current uh Marvel continuity version of it. Essentially, uh you know, uh, uh, life of Wolverine is this uh Marvel Unlimited series that is attempting to streamline and and make a cohesive kind of event list for um, the origin of Wolverine, all the most important things that a new reader would need to know, or a long-term reader might want to refresh themselves on, or, you know, it's very hard to take in all of the Marvel universe, as I'm sure Andrew can uh, (laughs) attest to. (laughs) And so it's a way for us to essentially kind of say, look, these are the core components that make up the Wolverine origin, but you know who he came to be as a character uh, you know, starting as James Howlett, becoming Logan, all that other stuff uh, up to the current moment in time in Krakoa. And so it. Uh, when I was offered this project by my editor, Mark Basso, I thought this would be, they know I like continuity and I love old, you know, comics and that kind of thing. And I, and I kind of jam on a lot of that stuff on the Marvel projects that I do. And this is that writ large. Uh, it's one of the more crazy projects that I've worked on. I got to read a lot of old X-Men and Wolverine comics and uh, some really good memories and a bunch of stuff that, that, you know, I'd never read originally when they first came out. So that was been kind of illuminating for me and then looking for broader patterns of narrative, bigger ideas about the character himself and narratively how we could sort of frame it up in a way that would be satisfying, uh, you know, for a reader to understand the big kind of emotional pushes and mental kind of changes of this character that has become so iconic, you know, in the superhero universe.
0: So essentially this book is exactly the book that would have been handy for you to have to write this book.
1: Yes. Yes. That's exactly it. Actually. That's, now that I'm done the book, someone can write the book. That's what I'm really excited about. I, you know, I joked to Mark, I said, uh, when Benjamin Percy's done writing Wolverine, like I'm, my brain's already full. So you might as well just slot me in there. Cause I'm, I'm ready to rumble. Yeah. I've got a lot of, a lot of knowledge of this character now. It's kind of fascinating. And, 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 Trying to figure out, I mean so many writers have written flashback stories of Wolverine at different points of time, and uh, trying to go through and and draw a through line and make sense of them uh was was a challenge, one that I do not wish upon any other person, <laughs> 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 yeah, yeah, but today we're not just talking about Wolverine, we're talking specifically about the romantic Wolverine.
2: <laughs> the, yeah. A side of him that's not discussed nearly enough. Not just a fighter, also a lover. Wolverine.
0: Yeah, maybe not discussed enough, but from the research I put in for this episode, apparently happening everywhere all the time. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> he has many types, let's put it that way. He is uh, very uh, prolific of the of the Lovins. Uh, <laughs> and so... Uh having a top five lift list is not, I mean, finding and in the, in, in ranking them in terms of top five is hard, but finding five is no problem at all. You just cast a stone yeah. in the Marvel universe and he has probably romanced it, which is kind of, kind of surprising when you consider how the character started, you know? So mm. yeah. Yeah.
2: And Andrew, uh, you know, your expertise is that Claremont run. And to my mind, there's only like one or two main um love interest for Wolverine in that time period? Or, or am I forgetting some other big ones?
3: No, no, it's, it's, it's pretty limited. You get some glimpses to his past, but not a lot. It's, it's mostly just a brief infatuation with Gene, uh, and then Marco. So, so question
1: on that front then Andrew, are, have you been reading, like you must still read Marvel books or are you still focused purely on the past in terms of that?
3: Yeah, sort of, um, my my research is all claremont so that's what i obsess over but right. like i try to keep up to date a little bit for you know context sure uh, and also just you know recreational
1: reading right yeah yeah totally
0: so the Claremont stuff is at work, but then you get home, you take your tie off and then you can new stuff. It's that's, that's a hobby. You, <laughs> exactly. you know, it's funny
1: that you, that you mentioned that too. Cause so for me, I'm part of what's called uh, the continuity circle where I'm one of the Marvel writers who receives advanced PDFs of all the Marvel books. So I'm getting oh somewhere in excess of, you know, 70 PDFs a month wow. uh, of all the books uh, to read about a month, month and a half ahead of time, just to make sure that I'm up to date on things as I'm working away on my own projects and uh it's weird because it it, you know i love it and i grew up reading this stuff and loving this stuff and being able to contribute is a huge part of it but there is a weird feeling of homework sometimes where i'm like ah, geez i gotta i gotta read all these books and then i kind of yeah yeah okay you gotta read these books get it done that's fine it's good you know so particularly when the books are awesome and then you can get really excited about what people are going to see in the coming months which is fun so yeah
0: but the argument with the, oh, sorry, honey, I'd love to go visit your parents, but, you know, work, I just, I have to read these new issues. That's- that's
1: <laughs> these savage Avengers won't read themselves. You know, <laughs> uh, it's true. Okay, well. It's true. Let's, uh, let's dive
2: into this. We're doing the classic dueling list format we have where both of our guests have brought a list, and we're going to start at number five and work our way to the number ones on both of their lists, back and forth between them as we go. But if someone has a character, say, at number five who the other person has higher in their list, we're going to stop there and wait to discuss them at the same time when we get to the higher entry, if that makes sense. And if not, just listen along. You'll figure it out. It's pretty straightforward.
1: <laughs> I do With have an honorary point. mention, though. Yeah,
2: let's start with Jim and the honorary mention.
1: All right. So before we hit my actual top five, I very selfishly slotted in Domino on this list. I know. (gasps) I know. Domino, although she didn't. Hold on. Oh, is she on your list of top five? She is. Oh, my gosh. All right. Perfect. (laughs) That's amazing. Wow. All right. So I guess uh, we'll hold off on talking about the whys and the wherefores on that. She's my honorable mention. I can't believe she made your top five. I'm super uh, now, really intrigued how this is going to play. When we get play. to that
0: point on Andrew's list, we'll be we'll talk about why.
2: And Jim, you'll be able to try and tear it down.
0: We'll see how that, <laughs> how that, how that goes.
1: Amazing, amazing. All right.
3: Okay, Andrew, let's bounce over to you. What's your number five? Uh, number five, I'm going to go traditional-ish. Uh, I'm going to go with Mariko, uh, Mariko Yoshida. Uh,
2: now, Jim. I-
1: yeah, uh, she's definitely on my list. And so, uh, yeah, we'll have to hold off on the discussion on that. <laughs> Ooh. And, uh, yeah. It's going to get yeah. spicy in the middle <laughs> of the episode. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm impressed that uh, she's number five on your list. All right. All right. Number That's five. Fascinating. Right. Okay, back to Jim. What's your number five? So my number five is Seraf who is the um, – mm-hmm. y- you must know who she is there, Andrew. She's the uh, – woman in madripoor that wolverine knew when he first went there back we're talking pre-world war one the first time she showed up wasn't a claremont issue that would have been x-men 268 that's that flashback one of world war ii with captain america and black widow Mm -hmm. and uh she's the i think she's the owner of the princess bar at that point uh and so yeah yeah they have quite a as we find out later on, not in that issue, but later on, they had quite a fling over years in uh, pre-World War I. Wolverine spends a lot of time in Madripoor. He's running sort of mercenary missions for her through basically runs missions for the hand and also for Romulus, who the less we say about him right now, the better. <laughs> but um, in terms of, of Seraph, they have like quite the fling. And it goes on for years and years. And even when he leaves Madripoor, eventually he gets pulled back in after World War I and they pick up right where they left off. And in Wolverine Origins Annual Number no. One, Kari Andrews has them, they just have the wildest sex and craziest kind of adventures in that thing. Like it just makes it very clear that uh, they're beasts in the bedroom and out. It's, uh, it's, uh, <laughs> pretty <fun. laughs> it's pretty fun stuff. So, yeah, yeah, she's my number five. And
0: I'm guessing, Andrew, I guess you don't have that appearing on your list at all then?
1: I do not. I don't disagree
3: with this pick, though. I I like it symbolically for the character in terms of um, his relationship to authority figures uh, and his Mm -hmm. relationship to violence, which she played a a really critical role in kind of tutoring him into.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, it it was a weird thing where I hadn't thought of her as a super important character to Wolverine's origin. And then the more that I read and the more research I did, I was like, actually, she's kind of a linchpin in certain moments of his life and what's interesting to me honestly as a writer is they haven't done a lot of stories the the earliest story i could find that they show in flashback is the 1930s but they talk about them getting together before that and they talk about all these adventures that they had so i was sort of like there's a fun little gap that would be interesting to to do you know stories in that period at some point it would be cool mm.
2: and they they made – she's still – well, I don't know if she's still alive, but she was alive for a very long time for someone who, at least on the surface, seems right. to just be a normal human, right? Like, what's – Yeah,
1: the hint they, at, they hint at the fact, because she has dealings with the hand and all that stuff through Romulus, yeah. that she may have had some kind of way of extending her life slightly, but they never put a button quite on it. It's all just sort of – the problem is with the slippy timeline stuff, where you're sort of like, this shouldn't really – function she should be dust but you know we want even even within this
2: even within a slippy time frame like she she was created in like uh, as far as the character goes in 1989 or whatever Mm -hmm. right like towards the end of that claremont run and then but she was introduced as a world war ii character right so
1: (laughs) it's crazy that's ridiculous (laughs) that she should still be alive in any way shape or form but you But I guess that's comics. Right? Well, we had a lot of these kinds of discussions when I was working on Life of Wolverine because there's stories that are like, you know, Wolverine and Carol Danvers running around in the 1970s doing spy missions, and you're like, uh, what? Like, how are we gonna, you know, make that function? Uh, and and we found ways to make it work, but we don't put exact dates on certain things. Like World War One, super important. World War Two, super important. Vietnam, super important. And then everything between Vietnam and now is just sort of mush. Like, it's just right. stuff. <laughs> it's just stuff happens. And this happened well, after that, but don't say when, you know, and that's how we kind of solve some of that. It's like the war that the, uh, the Punisher fought in is right. constantly changing. <laughs> yes. And now it's, um, they, they created a whole war for it just, just so that they could do the slippy timeline stuff.
2: Oh, ah, okay.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, Mark Wade created that for that new, um, I forget the name of the book. It was some Marvel universe retrospective and it's called the CM and oh. Kong war now. Yeah.
2: Okay. The history of the Marvel universe. That's right.
1: That's, right. that's the one. Yep, yep.
2: Okay. Well, let's jump back to Andrew for your number four.
1: Number four is indeed Domino. Oh, wow. Okay. How did, how did she? Um, yeah. So Domino is obviously my <laughs> honorary mention. I'd love to get a sense of why you think she's actually that high on the list. I'm kind of surprised now.
0: Yeah, Andrew, please lay it out for us and then Jim will ask you for objection.
1: Right, right. Yeah, totally.
3: (laughs) Okay, so a lot of Wolverine's relationships are about him projecting his own needs onto his partner, right? Mm -hmm. That's what he does. And I love that as a character beat. I think it's very entertaining and tragic. Uh, Domino doesn't read that way to me. Uh, There's a sort of um, equitability there between the two of them that I think is very interesting. But I also really like the way that she intersects with Logan's sort of... um, Let's, let's say id versus ego, the idea right. of how he wants to be more civilized. But, but Domino doesn't give him that. Domino gives him the opposite. That's where we get to see what Wolverine is when he's not pursuing the gentler way, let's say. And that can be really, really cool. These relapses don't have to contradict the character arc. We can see them as sort of like a poignant backslides that remind us of Logan's temptation because sexy, violent time with Domino is indeed tempting, right? It manifests in a visceral way. I think she sort of fills that Yukio role, but the thing that I never liked about Yukio in that role is that Yukio is a bit too enlightened to be that sort of primal character the way that Domino is. So I think there's a really nice relationship there that is atypical for Wolverine, but very much um, contributes to his normal character arc by showing us something different, showing us a, a movement in a different direction, which I really like about the character. So I think she opens up a lot of storytelling potential for when Wolverine's not with domino cool.
2: and, and before we get into the the back and forth it just like our can will one of you give us like a quick refresher on who domino is it, it's sort of weird that there was like a blockbuster movie that had right. domino mm-hmm. in it but it's still like not the, necessarily the way that you species. might
3: recognize yeah yeah <laughs> i love how jay edidin initially describes her as um, um x-force's wine mom <laughs> which I think was pretty entertaining. That's, wow! <clears throat> but then she becomes right. more than that later on. She becomes her own character. She's a mercenary. She has a lot of that sort of 1990s hero backstory that we were, you mm-hmm. know, dishing out to literally every character. Um, and I, I think that again plays off Wolverine in a kind of cool way as a character coming out of the 70s and 80s.
1: Yeah. So she was this character introduced in the last couple issues of New Mutants before X Force launched. And she's got these, uh, you know, uh, uh, luck powers, and really ill defined. I think in in spots, but yeah, um, yeah. And and created by Rob Liefeld as part of that sort of burst of of creativity where he was coming up with characters that felt like every single month but she was one of the ones that stuck it's like domino deadpool and cable are kind of his claims to fame in terms of the marvel universe um so i had domino on my honorary list for a very selfish reason and that's just because i wrote the two of them together in mystery and madripoor and i wrote a really (laughs) visceral sex scene and it was like real fun kind of caper stuff and so i never thought of her as like a important love in his life because it always felt very fleeting and very you know in in the way like you said like yukio or or these other characters that were more like animalistic flings rather than anything sort of serious or even long term but as far as i know uh, i don't think anyone else actually wrote them in bed together in an actual story that we saw they always hinted at it or sort of flirted with each other on panel but i just had it like go to town and uh, I thought that was really, I just thought it was really fun, right? Showing them, like you said, another side of them. So each issue of Mystery and Madripoor has a flashback component to it. And they show different facets of Wolverine. They show the way that he interacts with these women in his life. And those women have all come together to search for him. Because this was when, after the death of Wolverine and the return and all this sort of stuff. He hadn't come back yet. Uh, and so I had all these, these five women go to um, Madripoor on the hunt for him when evidence pops up that he may be there. And each of them gets to have this flashback. Each of them gets to sort of remember him in these different ways as an honorable warrior, or as a teacher or as a mentor, as a lover, you know, as a rival, all these kinds of things. Yeah. And the one with uh, domino was probably the most fun to write just because it had this kind of caper element to it. And, uh, kind of the, the violent and sexual abandon, I just thought was something that, uh, I don't think also people normally think of in my work. And so I was like, yeah, I'm going to do the full Claremontian kind of big action, (laughs) big, big love kind of stuff. I just want that miniseries for me was a big nostalgia bomb. It was me trying to kind of channel Claremont in my own work and make it feel like that kind of um, those kinds of stories that I loved growing up. Yeah. Nice.
0: I'm trying to figure out if that's a humble brag or not, like you have it yeah, down no, I, your...
1: you can, it's up to it's up to the reader whether or not I was successful. I mean that's the thing I'm just telling you where I came from when I was trying to write it. uh I'm not telling you whether or not yeah Jim's the, as good as Claremont that's not at all what I'm trying to say. I'm just sort of saying like I tried to put all of that into it and and all those qualities that I felt like the Claremont stuff that I enjoyed had, and uh you know, we got good reviews, people really liked it. That was also the story where we did some big, crazy stuff with um, with Psylocke, with Betsy Braddock and ha- has made some big changes to the character there. So it was a it was a fun series to be able to work on.
2: And uh, I feel like we have to mention that they Domino and Wolverine co-starred in a, a miniseries called Sex and Violence. So
3: <laughs>
2: <laughs> It's true. There was definitely stuff going on there. Nice. Uh, yeah, okay. Clearly, Andrew, you weren't the only one who thought that about these two. <laughs>
0: no,
3: and that, that's a Yost and Kyle one. It's really good.
1: Cool.
2: Yeah, and uh some, some very uh intense covers.
3: Yes, <laughs> extremely
1: of the time, as we said. <laughs> yes. <laughs> nice. So my number four, I don't know if she uh makes a a, a position on your list or a lot, but I have Rose O'Hara, kinda the original okay the, yeah, so uh Wolverine's, She's on my list. She is. All right, so we can hold off on the discussion there. <laughs> so she's the number four for for me. Yeah.
2: Okay. I'm very excited about this one. Andrew, you're number three.
3: Okay, my number three is largely the product of peer pressure. Um, <laughs> oh, wow. All I'm right. friends with Dr. Anna Papard, who is like the biggest Nightcrawler fan and like publishes a, a wealth of academic work on Nightcrawler. So I'm putting Nightcrawler on this list. And there's different ways that we can justify this. So it, it's, it's not romantic in canon, but we can approach it as a broader definition of the term love interest because they absolutely love each other. Mm-hmm. Uh And two... It's a reflection of an innate sexual chemistry as measured by fan fiction, because part of our project, we, we actually wow. did a lot of um, quantitative analysis of um archive of, archive of our own and the different pairings that were coming up a lot. And um, Logan Kurt
1: actually outnumbers Logan Jean, which I think wow. is
3: saying That's something. In-
1: that's impressive. You know, as when I when I was writing Thunderbolts, and I had the Winter Soldier, and that was right in the middle of kind of the concept of Stucky, Steve and Bucky. yeah. yeah. Fan fiction, kind of not hitting the mainstream, but as close as you could get, kind of at that point. <laughs> uh, I I understand where you're coming from in terms of like that the the intensity and the fan interest in in the that reaction to this stuff it's uh it is fascinating and amazing to me and i love seeing fans that are super passionate about this stuff and that have imprinted so strongly on these characters and their stories absolutely
0: Okay, so just for our broader audience, I mean, we need to talk about Nightcrawler for a bit, but do we also need to explain what slash fiction is? <laughs> <laughs> is that something we
2: need to cover? I'm going I'm to sit this one out. You guys can handle that part.
1: <laughs> it's really simple. So it's just fan fiction being written by fans of, of any characters. So this could be on any medium, whether it's TV show, comics, movies, whatever may have you. And they're writing their own uh, stories, usually just prose fiction, but there are fan yeah. comics and all kinds of different things like that. And, and they're pairing up characters romantically that are not necessarily romantically inclined in the canon stories that are being published. So when I talked about Stucky, they usually combine them together. It's like, you know, uh, 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 and all these other kind of, you know, Hollywood pairings. Right. So it's the idea of Steve Rogers and, and, you know, Bucky, uh, that they are not just partners and they're not just, you know, friends across the ages, but that they're actually romantically inclined with each other. So this obviously is with Logan and Kurt you're talking about. So, yeah.
2: Yeah. What would their couple name be? Andrew?
3: What would their couple name be?
2: Yeah. Uh,
1: <laughs> damn. Um,
3: wolf crawler. Clo- I don't know. Oh yeah. my gosh. <laughs> Klergen. Muscled <Yeah>. crawler. Yeah. <laughs> Wow! Yeah, nothing quite uh, like
1: Logurt. It just doesn't really, <laughs> doesn't quite roll off the tongue, I there, does it? Love that!
2: <laughs> it's we, got we a lot of make pro- this work,
1: probiotics. Take it off my list. That's right. <laughs> Sorry, Logurt, No place
0: for you here. That's what you'd think, but according to Andrew, your research, it uh, apparently it, it works out well. Uh, but yeah, hit us with the, so what are we looking at when we're looking at Nightcrawler? Uh,
3: you're looking at a really cool fraternal relationship, um, a a friendship that is dynamic and is based on mutual respect and admiration despite being polar opposites. So it's a really compelling dynamic that never feels forced or cheap. It was built slowly and it was built around again, this mutual admiration. It's like a perfect friendship. So you can see how a lot of people would want to read it in a more sexual or romantic light. Um, I don't know. I mean, if they were a couple, it would probably be the healthiest relationship Wolverine has ever had. Uh, And that's probably actually not saying much when I think about it. (laughs) But he's so so
1: well balanced in his romance. I don't know what you're talking about.
2: (laughs) So Nightcrawler was introduced in Giant Size X-Men number one by uh, Dave Cockrum and, and Claremont. And I think if you're going to assign a soul creator to any character uh, like Nightcrawler and Dave Cockrum is a pretty solid one to use. Yeah. Uh, And he's sort of, he's also almost the perfect uh, mutant metaphor where he, he looks like an actual demon and would be easy to to hate and fear but he's actually like the nicest guy on the x-men and then unfortunately they also made him literally a demon which i'm not a big fan of but you know seems to have stuck as far as continuity goes i have two big thoughts about this nightcrawler thing i think what makes this one possibly like the ickiest one on any of the lists is that Wolverine has definitely slept with Nightcrawler's mom. So it's just a weird (laughs) one.
1: (laughs) Wow. Wow. That's right. So yeah. Raven Darkholm, uh, uh, Mystique is, uh, Nightcrawler's mother and they have definitely been together. That actually does show up in life of Wolverine stuff. They're like, running gangster kind of missions in the in the 19 teens like it's like really weird kind of stuff it's uh yeah yeah she's been around for a long long time longer than you may think so
2: yeah okay and my other thought was i'm gonna spoil that uh, nightcrawler is the only uh man on the list but i figured if there was going to be one the the sort of in continuity example that is hard to ignore these days is Cyclops with uh, what's going uh, on in right. Krakoa.
1: Right. Yeah. So basically in the current uh, X-Men comics where the X-Men have their own nation on the Island of Krakoa uh, let's say love is a little more polyamorous and free form and, and relationships are sort of flowing back and forth with a, quite a few characters. Yeah.
2: But even then they're, they're, relationship has a uh, uh, fraught history and is probably not as uh, positive. I would guess as, <laughs> as night crawlers and, and Wolverines would be. That's true. Okay. No. That I guess that's it for my, <laughs> my, <laughs> my thoughts on that one, but I love the entry and, and uh, a lot to talk about there.
1: So yeah, Jim, what's your number three? My number three is Itsu. So that is uh, Wolverine's uh, first wife. And the mother of his child. And I think the saddest part of this is that she has barely appeared in any comics. Like, she's been in, I think, eight different comics, all flashbacks. Uh, she said almost nothing. If she has two lines of dialogue <laughs> across those eight appearances, I'd be shocked. Because she's sort of become this plot prop for him. His, you know, when It was a part of his life when he was trying to find balance. It's, uh, you know, post-World War II. He ends up in uh, Jasmine Falls in Japan. He ends up staying with this group of monks, and uh, he's trying to sort of quell the the animal inside him. And while he's there, he ends up meeting this woman, Itsu, who's there at uh, Jasmine Falls as well. They fall in love, and uh, she will end up having his child, who is uh, Akihiro, also known as Daken, And is still around to this day, but she Mm -hmm. just ends up being killed. She ends up being killed by years later, he will find out the Winter Soldier has slain his wife. Um, So I think she's an incredibly important character to Wolverine's history and should be a much more important person in terms of that, um, you know, plot of of his life and his emotional state and the fact that's a mother of his child and this kind of thing. But I I I loathe the fact that she's been used like such a prop and that she's so right. Yeah, she's just been kind of cast like every time you see her, it's essentially in a flashback where she's dead already. And it's like that's a disservice to the character. Why are they together? What do they have in common? What did you know, what qualities did Wolverine see in her? Uh, I feel like we don't get any sense of that ever, and that's something that is a real shame, but that shouldn't diminish the fact that she is actually a really important romantic figure in Wolverine's life and is worth exploring at some future juncture.
0: Hmm. Now, I mean, I know I'm not the one doing dueling lists. I just got to point out, because I got to hear both your viewpoints on it, that... I mean, put it this way, I was a little surprised to hear how little she's been in the comics because I remember it so. And it's, well, no, it turns out I'm getting confused because this storyline happens to Wolverine a lot. Oh,
1: yeah. Oh, one of the things I noticed as I was reading was the... Oh, here's the love interest. Oh, she's got to die. Like, it, there's a lot of fridging going on for the Wolverine. Not just yeah. that,
0: but specifically a love interest that he goes to Japan yes. for to right. meet a Japanese girlfriend who is then killed to motivate his plot. The dead, I, I'm counting three dead Japanese girls, and then he also has <laughs> a relationship with Yukio, but she's still alive. Yeah. Is it kind of like, Good okay, for, for starters, stop
1: going to Japan? He's got a type. They're Maybe. either redheads or Japanese women. That is, that is the Wolverine way. Apparently it's uh sad, but true. So, yeah, I think
3: there's kind of a weird history of redcon there where, where writers will go back and earlier in Wolverine's timeline establish that he was attracted to a character as if that explains why he was later attracted to the yeah, character, which I don't think is necessary.
1: Someone? That's what's really awkward. It's, it's weird. Like it's totally okay that Wolverine could have met Mariko and, that like her because you know that he didn't have to have other Japanese love interests before this in some ridiculous way, but yeah, it's just sort of the nature of this thing—the cyclical, serialized nature—and the and yeah. some of the the wheels within wheels that end up becoming part of retcons. So,
0: but Andrew, you didn't have Itsu on your list at all, right?
3: No, I, I didn't. Um, I I, I did read Itsu in that that light that I was kind of talking about. I, I read Itsu as like a let's explain why Wolverine was attracted to Marco light. Right. But, but, mm-hmm. but hearing what what Jim's saying? Yeah. There's a, there's a really rich history there with a, a living monument coming out of it that right. it would be really cool to see writers explore a little bit more and, and and draw in.
1: Yeah. I think I literally, I mean, because she's only appeared in like eight comics. I read them all and I swear she's got three lines of dialogue in eight. eight <laughs> and I'm just like, wow, wow, that is a, that is a really brutal treatment of a character. And again, it's always about, the lead up to that moment where they meet and then it's, she has the child that, you know, like that, that is all that seems to matter, you know? And it's like a real disservice to a character that I feel like you could do more with, or you could try and understand who Wolverine was in that period, particularly because yeah. the way we've structured it now in life of Wolverine, um, we go through, uh, that there's a series that Brian K. on, a mini series wrote just called Logan, where he is, in Japan at the end of world war two and he's in Hiroshima when the bomb drops. Right. And, uh, after that, I basically, when we were crafting the narrative, I'm like, you know, he needs to, he's tries to find peace inside himself. He tries to understand these wars and these things that have happened to him. And that's when he goes to Jasmine falls and it all lines up for mm-hmm. the timeline really well. And so, the idea of creating life instead of taking life—that was sort of the thing that I thought was really important about their relationship. That his it's trying to find a new way forward, and mm-hmm. so whether or not that was what you know Daniel Way or or the other writers that have wrote those scenes with Itsu intended, that's kind of narratively what I'm threading with it now. So, yeah.
2: She's also an interesting example, like uh, just for our non comic book listeners, she's an example of a, a retcon where you, you go and change something about a character's past and it's just sort of like, that's the way it's always been. And yeah. sometimes those can be, you know, awkward and painful and like it barely makes sense, but you just sort of go with it. But in this case, because of Wolverine didn't know anything about his past for most of the the character's existence this is a retcon that kind of works and it's like that the reason we've never heard of her before you know 2009 or whatever is because wolverine didn't even know about her until then yeah
1: yeah his memories are just swiss cheese for so much of his (laughs) existence and uh that's one of those other things that as we were doing the research we would just see moments where it's like oh in this past story he's using his claws in this past story he's not because because originally they didn't you know that he didn't receive his claws until he received the adamantium and all that kind of stuff. So trying to fit some of those bits together and make sure that it functioned was also one of the, uh, kind of, kind of little dances that I had to do as we were working on this series. So, yeah.
3: Cool.
2: All right. Well, why don't we jump back to Andrew for your number two?
3: Number two is Aurora Monroe storm.
1: Oh, nice. I don't know if she's not on on my list. She's Uh not. Yeah. So, I'll but try, I I'll try I don't you no know, no totally I, <laughs> I I I did sort of juggle about whether or not she would end up near kind of five five or six if mm-hmm. we had a top six but this show's not called top six so I uh, see you, know, he, 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 uh,
0: hey, so you put six. in Domino as your six anyway. Yeah, yeah, I mean. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh,
1: but no I can I I could totally see her being as a possibility on that list but she didn't end up uh, making it for me but yeah sell it up Storm's amazing of course All right. so.
3: She's, she's too good for him and he knows it, which I think is very charming. <laughs> yes. Their relationship is based on uh, mutual respect as a foundation. She has always been the one who stands up to him, the one that he respects. I mean, he doesn't respect Cyclops as a leader, he respects Storm. As someone with hilariously obvious oppositional personality disorder, he deeply needs that. Just as Storm in the Outback era needs like a super casual stress relief and indulgence, something visceral and human. To remind her that she's not just a goddess, right? And it's subtle. 80s comics to have a, a friends with benefits relationship, even being hinted at the way it is, is, is rare. The relationship becomes romantic later on. Um, Jason Aaron notably plays with this. Um, but I always got the sense that like the love between them doesn't really fit into any kind of neat monogamous category. In that sense, I really liked Aaron's interpretation because it aligned with the broader maturity and vision that Aaron was trying to give Wolverine in the wake of Schism. So there was a nice kind of um, um, accentuation to what Aaron was doing with the character in other ways. Uh, As if the relationship was always like like waiting for Wolverine to grow up a bit or something. And in Aaron's run, he's ready for it. So I I think there's a lot there. Again, very similar to the Nightcrawler relationship. A lot of um, complex foil relationships. Um, And I don't know. I, I know a lot of people don't like it. In ways that I think are, are valid, but as a friends with really, really, really good friends with benefits
1: relationship, <laughs> I think it's really cool. Nice. Uh, you know, Storm is such a phenomenal character and she was such a linchpin of Claremont's run and her evolution is yeah. one of the most broad. Like she changes more than almost any other character, even Logan himself, frankly. And but it's um, not
2: like a, a changing that is arbitrary it's like oh no, motivated by at the at story all. absolutely it's so great that way
1: yeah and it's one of those things that i feel like every other writer is now like we're in the shadow of that it's almost impossible for you to sort of move the ball forward in a way that's going to feel meaningful for her in right. that respect the way that he did and so i think aurora is one of my absolute favorite characters in marvel but it's that weird thing of like because I grew up just reading them as, yeah, she's the one that can tell him no and she's the one he'll back down from. I never ever saw them in a romantic way. Like the closest sort of version of that is like, you know, they think they're going to die and okay, let's, you know, get a last kiss or something (laughs) because it's like, but it's like a symbolic sort of a, you're the person that I'm going to, you know, see the end with rather than it being like a romantic kind of thing. But I don't even disagree with your interpretation of it. I think it's very cool and uh, totally worthy as far as that goes.
0: It does feel a little one-sided, though, the way you put it, doesn't it? I mean, I can absolutely <laughs> see what Wolverine gets out of it because, yeah, yeah. like that's he's got a lot of, of holes in his personality that he needs to be filled by another party member. Sure. Maybe not the best phrasing to, to use in this example. <laughs> I'm, what I'm getting at is what does Storm get at? Well,
1: you see, Jesse, Logan is the best he is at what he does. And he's, <laughs> he's been doing this for a very long time. <laughs> So I, yeah, uh, yeah, I think he's a real animal in the bedroom. He's very capable of uh... yeah
3: storm is one of the first characters in Marvel comics, uh, a superheroine to have sexual agency, something Claremont yeah. cultivated beginning in life death, right, yeah, so the idea that she would have very basic biological needs that's totally in keeping with the character, and exactly as Jim's saying, Wolverine is probably <laughs> a a good. I don't know, boy toy, if we want to call him that in this scenario. He's probably better at it than Cyclops, right? <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> okay. And, and, and you know, and he, with, the, with his healing factor, he's just raring to go at any moment. You know, <laughs> No holds barred. No holds barred. That's right. Do I have to beep any of this? I can't tell. <laughs> Are we okay? <laughs> we're, All fine. Right. We're, fine. we're fine. All right. So my number two now, I guess we're on? Sure. Let's do it. Yeah. So my number two is Jean Grey. I know it's the obvious All sort right. of answer. Is that your number one? It is not. She's not on my list. Wow. All right. I know. That I was is, expecting it, that. <laughs> it's this thing where I part of it is um, I'm biased on obviously growing up with the, you know, reading all those stories and seeing the unrequited kind of tension between them. But yeah. now particularly the trust that they have in Krakoa and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And- I have to be 100% honest, the life of Wolverine story we just wrote is literally all about Jean Grey going through Wolverine's mind and seeing this timeline in this kind of macro view for the first time as an outsider and seeing those broader patterns and that level of trust that he gives her to allow her that access is part of my bias here, where this demarcation point, they are now, there's a level of trust that's even stronger that than before and she at the spoilers at the very end of this little (laughs) digital story essentially she needs those memories to anchor him during you know X lives of wolverine and she says but don't worry after this is over i'll you know i'll I'll have xavier wipe them because that's not mine to keep and he basically says to her no they're yours now as well you can have them as long as you want and so yeah they're uh they're tight
3: yeah. <laughs> uh, what do you think of that, uh, Andrew? Ah, uh, the Kirkkoa thing. I yeah, that's that. That's very very valid. <laughs> makes me feel bad. <laughs> um, I'm thinking more of like the early era where I, I think Wolverine or Wolf- Jean basically exists to further Wolverine's tragedy. I sure. think it's largely misconstrued because a lot of people think that Wolverine is pining over Jean forever. Nope, it's like a few issues and then he meets Mariko, right? Um and then later writers would would pick up that thread again, including Claremont, who retconned it in classic X-Men number one as being a a legitimate thing. So I found that relationship to be historically uneven. But yeah, oh, in the Cocoan era, it's good. In the Cocoan yeah. era, I, I would say it's very good.
1: Yeah, yeah. And that's the thing is that you've always got like I have my favorite periods of these characters, and nostalgia is such a huge part of why we read this stuff and those those moments yeah. that mean so much to us, obviously. But one of my jobs, you know, here working on these stories is to acknowledge and work with the characters as they are now and look for ways to move them forward in meaningful fashion. And so even if I look and I go, I wouldn't have necessarily put Gene and Logan together. um, I can't deny what's currently happening in the books and the way that it, you know, has changed the characters. And so that's sort of where I'm looking at it from.
3: Right.
2: Yeah. yeah, it feels like from my reading, it was like in the early days, very one-sided where it was yeah. something that Wolverine was interested in and Jean had like no interest and, and in And him.
1: almost as much of it was seemingly about getting Scott's goat, like just messing yeah. with Summers. Yeah, yeah. Because he could offer her, you know, he was the rebel kind of thing or he, it, it was like it was almost like he was the leather jacket guy on the motorcycle you know driving by like come on with me baby like it just has all those qualities of the bad boy you know that that she would not normally go for but she's yeah it's uh they play off a lot of those kind of clichés in it and i think it works yeah. really well to create that tension
2: spontaneity versus stability yep yep absolutely right and I, I'm you know, I, I grew up with the animated series and things like that, so I've always yeah aware of that that dynamic and the and it, when I was growing up it was always more like he was very interested and she was interested too but was, stayed with Cyclops it was always a temptation but she didn't do it except in like every alternate reality
1: they were together <laughs> <Yes. Right? laughs> yeah yeah of course yeah that was the thread
0: in the Fox movies too right is right? that they they clearly had chemistry but yeah. she but she stayed loyal to Scott and he was kind of a jerk but mostly just because this Canadian kept hitting on his girlfriend. And we weren't sure who to feel sorry for.
1: I think that, you know, Scott's been really served poorly in the movies in general. Oh, like yeah. that he, he always comes across like a wet blanket and just like, no, at best he's, <laughs> he's doing the right thing, but you never really care about why he's doing it. Yeah
2: but speaking of the alternate realities, like I, I I am a sucker for age of apocalypse. And I know it's just cause I was 12 or whatever, when it was coming (laughs) out. And I, the Maguera art and all that stuff, it just looks so cool. Yeah. 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 Like the art, I I, I still think that art is amazing today. That's why I love it. But I, I love the storyline there with Jean and Wolverine and like Wolverine bailing on the X-Men to go save her. And like that, that, that very romantic version of their their storyline like wolverine losing a hand because he has to save her it's just such a a fun four issue storyline and and uh, great great comics in my eyes <laughs> so that that is a great version of the gene and, and wolverine romance to my mind sweet bolster my case it's good it's good <laughs> I <like> it.
0: <laughs> I mean, if we're picking sides, I got to, I'm kind of with, I, mean, I, I don't know. I, I am with Andrew on this one, but mostly just because I find Jean exhausting.
3: <laughs>
1: yeah. There is that sometimes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yep, her or uh, Phoenix or Dark Phoenix being, or rises, Madeline. You so
1: irritating. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I
0: just, I'm very like Jean, like we were talking about Wolverine story being kind of cyclical. Like. Oh boy, it just gene has a cyclical story. So as, if he's with anyone besides her, I'm in a better mood, but that may be a selfish motivation.
1: <laughs> nice. All right. Now we're at the number ones.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I'll fight Jesse about that later. Uh, Andrew, what's your number one?
3: My number one is already mentioned Rose from Wolverine Origin. Nice. Yeah. All right. I, this is, I actually thought this would be a more controversial pick. I'm delighted that, that, that Jim also has Rose on the list. <laughs>
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, I
2: think the number one is what makes it controversial. Yeah, I
1: am surprised she's yeah. number one, honestly. It's like it,
2: number one chronologically, Andrew, yeah, but that's it, not what the me, list is. She number
1: one was. crush like the original. It's true. <laughs> yeah. um, okay, so
3: logic. Um, I, I think Origin is really underrated in terms of what it accomplished. It had an absolutely impossible task and it executed it really well in my eyes. There's some character consistency issues that I'm sure Jim could speak to, but sure. I think it works as a good backstory <laughs> like it answers a lot of questions about Wolverine without creating dead ends for the character. Like that's the most important thing often by adding a new layer of nuance to them. So not easy. This is where it all begins. This is Wolverine's like sexual and romantic pathology. You could call the book, Logan's sex drive origin. Uh, (laughs) Wow. It engages with that subject very directly. Like it's it's clearly working with sexual symbols. Uh, It's got that primal nurturing element to it. uh, Essentially an eatable complex, which Holy crap yes of course wolverine has an oedipal complex and is drawn to right. women who nurture him or even domesticate him a la Marco. it establishes his response of retreating into nature as a sort of failed romantic response thus intersecting logan's sexual identity with all the ego versus id metaphors built around the character and his relationship to like savagery uh, it riffs on heather hudson who is another character i considered for my list because i really like um yeah Hudson uh and it retcons all other logan relationships and i know i complained about this in than one to go in a way that might diminish them a little bit but remains for me endlessly fascinating like it's not the best loved or most iconic logan love interest but she is the alpha uh, and you can reread literally every logan love interest in the context of rose uh and discover something new and cool every time so to me she's the most interesting Love story. I think that's where I give her credit. See, it's interesting that the
1: the qualities that you give to Rose as a retroactive continuity, I agree with, right? But my number one is Mariko. And the reason why is because she has all those qualities in the moment they're written by Claremont, right? Mm -hmm. So she brings a humanity to Logan and she brings him on a path to become the honorable warrior that will make him as a character so much richer and so much more profound and interesting as a reader. And although retroactively you can put Itsu or Rose into those roles because they've been inserted earlier in a timeline, Mariko's the real deal in the writing. Do you know what I mean? And I so do. for me, I'm like, she's the most important because as a reader, she had the most. Reading those stories as they came out, she had the most profound effect on my understanding of the character. And when I read the Wolverine miniseries, the original one with Claremont and Miller, she is the the linchpin of that whole thing that changes him as a character, a demarcation point that he will never go back from in terms of that honor-bound warrior. And as I did my research sort of backwards and forwards to make that all kind of work, it just became so clear to me how important she was to the timeline but how important i think from a creative standpoint she became for claremont and the other creators to be able to humanize and and broaden him as a character beyond the beast you know what i mean right and so that's why she's my number one so it's weirdly kind of the same reasons but yours is like (laughs) linear time and mine is like creative time if that makes sense
0: this is the argument people are having with the mcu right now is whether or not to watch in chronological order or the star wars people with whether or not to watch it in (laughs) chronological order the correct answer is no but right (laughs) there Uh, so i just want to step back just a bit so we've talked a bit about rose she's sort of the original and i I do want to circle back to that because i guess yes absolutely he loved her but they don't actually get together in that run no, I true. think, but but the, so we should circle back to that. But also, let's talk just a little bit more about Mariko because again, there are a lot of Japanese girls here, and a lot of them <laughs> get killed. <laughs> and from a casual perspective, it's difficult to tell them apart. Not that way, but in the way, just that it's yep. the same story a lot. So, Jim, can you give us a quick? Overview of the Mariko relationship so Marie
1: Mariko is the original kind of love in the x men run. She first appears in uncanny x men number one eighteen very briefly, yep. and then over the next few issues, what 'll happen is we 'll realize that what seemed like a cute kind of unexpected character moment for Logan at that moment he doesn 't even tell anyone his name is Logan by the way. that comes out yeah, in the comics that later. was nice. And, which is a really awesome little moment when he introduces himself. And the reason why he's about to tell her his name is because he introduced himself as Wolverine. And then she says, Is that a name? And he goes, No, my <laughs> name is low. And then he gets cut off by an attack or whatever else. Anyways, the point is uh, over the course of like the next 15, 20 issues, they show that they're dating, they show that they're spending more time together, they're, you know, and then eventually they become betrothed. Leading up to uh, the Wolverine uh, miniseries, which is this in- incredible just stylistic masterpiece hmm. kind of 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 and at the time solo series for characters who were in team books like that was just not really a thing but Wolverine was so damn popular and Claremont and Miller actually brainstormed this idea on a drive to San Diego Comic-Con yeah. and um basically it's this story of of Wolverine going to Japan finding out the deep kind of dark underbelly of Mariko's criminal family past and And trying to free her from its um influence on on her and her you know and all under the auspice of Japanese tradition and loyalty and honor and and sort of the soul of a warrior kind of stuff, and it's so incredibly well done, it's an absolute blast, and it enriched his character in a way that has imprinted on every story that has gone come since then, and so because of that, I feel like she is the most important you know character in terms of his romantic life but as a creative story and as a character i think she's also the most important relationship for the future of that character if that relationship wouldn't have happened i don't know that wolverine would be as popular as he is today hmm. yeah
2: so, uh, Andrew, how come you had her number five? Like, why didn't she rank the, this as high for you?
3: Yeah, this is a weird position for me to be in because, like, I, I'm arguing against myself. Yeah, I'm, I'm still Selling Claremont to the
1: Claremont guy. <laughs> this is
3: weird. <laughs> I will throw two things at this for why she didn't make it higher on my list. Um, the first is that in Claremont's continuity... Wolverine doesn't even think Mariko is the perfect woman for him. Um, in Uncanny X-Men Annual 11, he has this vision where he specifically laments that she's not wild enough for him. And yes. that he feels torn between her and Yukio even still, right? So she's sort of like half of his ideal woman. And I think that's that's a rough place for her to be in. And then the other thing I think is a, just a, a difference in reading between Jim and I, because Jim, you mentioned demarcation point, And I like 100% agree. For me, this is actually the problem with Mariko though, is that she's a resolution. You know what I mean? Like, like once he's with Marco, once he's married and the head of clan Yoshida, he can't Wolverine anymore.
1: Sure. But then of course, you know, because it's Claremont and this is serialized drama, (laughs) they're going to pull, they pull the rug out from under people in, in X-Men 172 where the wedding does Yeah. It doesn't carry out. Right. But so I love that though, because I love the dramatic tension that that creates. And I love the fact that it looks like we're going to get exactly what you said, a resolution of character. And then Claremont's smart enough to pull the rug out so that we don't have this soppy kind of version of the character, you know?
3: Yeah. He can't retire
1: basically. Right.
3: The the way Cyclops retires to Alaska until Jim shooter
1: called him back. Exactly. Right. So I think it's, it's funny because we're looking through the same story and we're both saying it's important, but we're sort of ranking it differently in terms of why it's important, you know, and what it represents. Yeah.
2: Yeah, exactly. So when that, when that rug gets pulled out and, and they, you know, the, there's the whole mastermind thing and then they fix it and then, but they don't end up getting married.
1: No, because that... she says that she wants to earn it, that she's got yeah. to deal with the criminal part of her family on her own, that Wolverine can't uh, fix that for her. Cause that would be dishonorable. So she's going to take care of it on her own, which gets her into this wheel of corrupted politics and all kinds of crazy stuff.
2: But that's, is that kind of like the end of their relationship as far as the story is concerned? Like they I know they, it's sort of on again, off again after that, but never at the forefront. Like it was, she, no, it's
1: never at the forefront. Eventually the story ends up wrapping up in the solo Wolverine series years later, he'll come back to Japan. She ends up getting betrayed and poisoned and asks him to finish her off so that she won't suffer. Uh, which is this really dark kind of turn of the whole thing. And in some ways it's like, you know, as a fan, I hate that resolution to the whole thing. I get it. You're trying to break the character free of this sort of dramatic obligation, but (laughs) um, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a point of contention for me, but that's still the continuity as it stands. So.
3: Yeah. Yeah.
2: Now I don't want to, we kind of got sidetracked from, from Rose. Uh, I I don't want to, Give her short shrift as she's a number one as well. And I, I for this, I reread the Wolverine Origins comic and man, like you were saying, Andrew, it I I hadn't read it since it came out and I read it like monthly. So it's not especially for a very tightly, you know, continuity based story like that miniseries monthly. I don't find is necessarily the best way to read these things. Cause like mm-hmm. by the time you get to the last issue, the first issue was is six months old and like barely in my, my hard drive anymore, by which I mean my memory and uh, not literally in my hard drive. I wasn't stealing comics. Just want to make that clear, <laughs> 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 but she, it was a rereading it. It was really good. And it held together as a, a story and had, um, uh, it, it, she's the main character of the book. Like it's, it's told yeah. from her perspective largely and every issue had cool twists, but also had fun character building stuff. And uh, I kind of wish they had kept her around a bit longer and, and shown more of her life. Uh, not that she, cause she's a Wolverine love interest had much of a chance at a life, but uh, yeah, great character and and great arc and connection to Wolverine.
1: I think that she's got a bit of the Itsu problem though, where she is a dramatic device in order to move his story forward. And that's the difference with someone like Jean or like Mariko, where they are, yes, of course, Mariko is part of a dramatic device for Wolverine's story, but over a longer span of time, we get to see more of her and enjoy more of their interactions. So I feel like priorities wise, she can take on a greater significance.
3: Yeah. I think the character has to have an arc of their own. Uh, exactly as jim is saying right otherwise they read them as a device um Mm -hmm. i think rose gets a bit of an arc i I agree it's not it's it's not enough really i I would have liked to have seen a lot more of her but i do think the story she has is interesting like her perspective as this like um impoverished um, i think she's an orphan um coming into this wealthy family and observing Mm -hmm. all of their intense drama like it's a very downton abbey thing which is a weird thing for a wolverine story (laughs) but it kind of worked
1: yeah yeah for I mean sure. one of the things that throws people is if they don't know the character's history and they don't realize he's been around for over a hundred years, kind of thing you know and and like those kinds of that pastoral sort of uh 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 origin kind of throws people sideways, but it works like you said yeah. and they set up a bunch of really interesting stuff. Oh, it's always red herring. Yeah, right? Absolutely, yes. right from the get right from the cover oh, and all the solicits and everything else. It's uh it is a really neat book and obviously I read all this stuff exhaustively for it, but again, because Rose only exists in that one mini series and because she yes, she is the alpha retroactively, but I feel like my priority on this <laughs> list is about sort of <laughs> yeah, as as a reader and as as the creative sort of element, I feel like Mariko had a greater Um, she, she had a greater, brought a greater change to Wolverine through their love. Yeah.
3: Yeah, I I would have to argue, and I'm again, arguing against myself. I would have to argue that that sort of, as you said, the fundamental relationship between Wolverine and his love interest is really established by Marco. Uh, and Rose is built from that uh, and built very well. And in my eyes, maybe even built better. Um, but to suggest that, you know, um, which one is an antecedent of the other. I mean, it's pretty clear. Uh, right, Marco right. Defines what a Wolverine love interest is.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Cause she is the original in terms of the reading order. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So cool. So we okay. can all come to an agreement. <laughs> yeah, for
2: sure. So what, what do you think uh, Wolverine's love life has in store for us? Is he just going to remain as I, I don't want to undersell, but like the third wheel of the Scott and Jean thing, or <laughs> has he got another, is he got another love in his life ahead of him, do we think? Dooming another poor woman to so <laughs> brutal yeah. sort of yeah, likely Japanese yeah. Oh God, if he can find a Japanese redhead, you who know, we're in real trouble.
1: Nice. You know, it's really uh interesting that that like one of the things I do like about um the current X Men stuff is for the first time in a long time, I don't feel like I know where stuff is going. Yeah. Which is, which is surprising, because you got used to very much... I think so many writers, because they've been so heavily influenced by Claremont, they would come aboard and they would try and yank characters back to the moments that they most enjoyed them as a reader. And so it created this real hamster wheel feeling of relationships and friendships that never felt like they were allowed to evolve and move forward. And yeah. so... Um, you know, even if I disagree with some of the creative choices that can be made at certain points, at least people are taking swings and they're doing stuff with characters, which I feel like that's better than playing safe. And so I'd like to see them do more stuff. I'd like to see them push these characters into their, you know, out of their, their normal boundaries so that we can have more excitement and more kind of mystery and more dramatic potential. The last thing I want to do is sort of yawn my way through same old, same old. You know, when I'm reading these characters.
3: Yeah, I agree. I think X-Men in particular, as a franchise, has drowned in its own nostalgia on more than one yeah. occasion. Yeah. Um, so, so, seeing momentum that Hickman's been able to to create is is wonderful. And like, I'm not even the biggest Hickman fan. Um, I like, I, mean, I think he's brilliant. I, I've I've really enjoyed the way that other writers have picked up on this new creative direction, um, and some of the other titles that have come out of the the new X-Men. Yeah, Yeah, I've got such a
1: different perspective on this stuff now because, you know, it used to be I was just a reader and now I'm a creator. And so sometimes I'll read these books and I'll be like, I disagree with what you've done, but I'm glad you did it. You know what I mean? Like that's very much an attitude I can have now where I can go, oh, cool, you're trying stuff, you're pushing. Like you wouldn't get a story like The Winter Soldier, you know, if you don't, if, if Brubaker didn't take a big swing. Right. These character arcs and these moments that are now seminal to characters that have become part and parcel now of these even bigger movie kind of storylines that are out to millions and millions of people around the world. You have to try stuff. You have to push and pull and 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 make big changes and make big dramatic uh, moments happen. And so in that way, I know as a fan, I probably would have gotten really angry about some of the stuff and I would have been like, this is stupid or I would have done it differently or whatever, but now I can sort of look and go, all right, I'm willing to play the, you know, play your hand. Let's, let's see the whole game before I pass judgment for sure.
2: Hmm. Yeah. Just going off the uh, big swings thing. I, I think sometimes what gets lost is in comics, you can take a big swing and if it doesn't connect, if you don't get the grand slam that you were hoping for people just kind of forget about it or get swept under the rug. So even if like winter soldier hadn't worked out, people would be like, Oh yeah, that was a clone of Bucky. That that one doesn't count. Bucky's really still dead and Cap's still (laughs) messed up about it. Don't don't worry about it.
1: Uh, Tom Brevoort, one of my editors in the Avengers office, he will say nothing succeeds like success. And I was like, what do you mean by that? And he goes, if you make something, but if you make something really awesome, other writers in the Marvel universe will want to pick up on it and play with the toy and use it as well. Right. So if a character is, you know, coming out in a movie or whatever, obviously all of a sudden, we all want that character to guest star in our book or, you know, (laughs) have some sort of an appearance. There's nothing quite like a black Panther movie to make black Panther show up in a (laughs) hundred different places. Right. Right. But on the other (laughs) hand, it also speaks to if you do really cool things with the characters, they've got their new costume, their new paradigm, and it is something really visceral I'll reflect that in my story. I want to showcase that as well. And so nothing succeeds like success. Like you, if you do something that makes a big change and people like it and want to see more of it, it will propagate itself and it will become kind of permanent bedrock in the walls of a house of ideas, you know? Hmm.
0: Well, coming from somebody who's not a creator, I can just say that that's sort of a city on a hill for me, that beacon glimmering over <laughs> the thing. Uh, but it's, I wish you the best and hope for the best to come out of it with the stuff you're making. Uh, guys, thanks so much for coming on the show. I think that's a blast. I am a little concerned about the body count in Wolverine's <laughs> bedroom. Uh, but I think from the discussions we're having, I'm not the only one. It's good to know maybe there's room for that to change. Uh, before we head out, I know we talked a little bit about everything uh, at the beginning, but I uh, just want to get in touch with things a little bit more. Um, Andrew, do you want to start with you? If folks want to learn more about the Claremont run, about what the project is, what it's up to, where can they find you and what's going on with it lately?
3: Uh, we are a um, um, Shirk funded, which is like a, a government agency Um research project run out of St. Jerome's university, which is where uh, I'm on faculty. And what we do is um, a website. Uh, You'll see www.claremontrun.com. But the main thing I'm working on these days is um, social media knowledge dissemination. It's called microblogging. Honestly, it just means I'm posting stuff on Twitter, (laughs) (laughs) but that doesn't sound good on a grant application. (laughs) Microblogging. Yeah. So you'll find us at Claremont run. um, And yeah, just, a nauseatingly in-depth from every possible <laughs> angle look at a comic. Really selling the creative. nauseating. Like, wow, right. it's holistic. As a fan, I have
2: to say it is amazing. I love it. I mean, I know you've you got to be self-deprecating, but it is so good.
3: Thank you.
0: Absolutely, thumbs up. Across the board. Uh, longtime fans of the show probably remember. But if you're new or just tuning in for this episode, I, we talk about this in a lot more detail. And the last episode you were with us, Andrew, uh, for those of you looking for it in the archives, it was in our, it was episode 40 of our quarantine season run. Uh, that was January. <laughs> so if you want to hear more about that and how it works, uh, we had a blast doing that there. And then, uh, and Jim, you've been on the show a few times now. Yeah. I'm um, always a blast to have you and you are always working on entirely new and crazy <laughs> stuff.
1: Yeah. I'm doing a lot of, a lot of sword and sorcery stuff as always. So I'm the, uh, ongoing writer of the official Dungeons and Dragons comic series. Uh, we've got our, our sixth, uh, mini series is being released now called Mindbreaker. It acts as a bit of a soft prequel to the Baldur's Gate 3 video game. That I'm very, very mm-hmm. excited about, um, I just finished a, a really funky series for Marvel called Avengers Tekon, which was this partnership between Marvel Entertainment and Bandai Namco of Japan. And so we took this kind of Sentai, like Power Rangers, approach to uh, storytelling and fused the Avengers with these kind of power armored suits created by Tony Stark. It was this big, dramatic, over the top. Um, I, you know, not to use almost like a what if. Uh, sort of story, and we went big and and boisterous on it, and we had a ton of fun. Um, I've got The Life of Wolverine, Unlimited comic, obviously, that made up a big bulk of what we're talking about here, as I did crazy deep dive research on Logan, trying to take iconic moments from his timeline, put them in order, and, and express broader um, themes and patterns about him emotionally, where he's been and where he could yet go. Uh, It was a lot of fun. It was a very weird project and one that uh, I learned a ton about on the way. I've got um, two other Marvel projects that are going to be coming this year that haven't been announced yet. And I'm already deep diving in terms of of writing right now. So lots of fun stuff on the go.
0: And sometime in between there, you also eat and sleep, right? Yes. Yes. (laughs) sometime. (laughs) important to remember all right all cool stuff to look at guys thank you so much for joining us it was a blast having you
3: thank you thank you
0: while we are giving out thanks, I would also like to extend our thanks to Oliver Wickham, the guy behind our theme song. Uh, he's a music producer. He's got a ton of cool stuff on Spotify. Do yourself a favor and check it out. He is great. You won't regret it. And finally, we always want to say thanks to you, the folks at home, the folks who are active in the community, uh, the folks who just listen to us to make their morning drive a little bit less arduous. Um, it is a blast getting the opportunity to do this for you. And even more, when it's a blast when you bring it back to us. And Let us know what you think. If you had any questions, comments, concerns, either for us about the show or for our guests, we would love to further those conversations with you. Graham, how are they able to get all that to
2: us? Please email us at GeekTop5 at gmail.com. We're on Facebook, facebook.com slash GeekTop5. We're on Twitter at GeekTop5 and on our website, GeekTop5.com. You can leave comments under every single episode and we check those regularly please also go to your podcatcher of choice and give us a nice rating and review. And, uh, we would love to see that. Thank you.
0: Those ratings and reviews, super helpful, by the way, not just because we like people telling us we're great, uh, but also it gives us the metrics to know where the podcast is being listened to, how it's being listened to, et cetera, to help us make this experience better for you. Um, Wolverine and his many, many women and a couple of men, Uh, Plenty in the past and more coming up for sure. You want to follow up on any of those stories. That is far more than enough to keep you busy until we get a chance to do this again. Until then, I'm Jesse. I'm Graham. And this has been Geek Top 5. We'll talk to you again next week.